these opportunities, especially international ones, to be in the same room as people who, you know, were early supporters of This American Life and some of these different shows that, um, you know, we now know so well and, you know, live as sort of these icons out there. It feels fantastic to be able to pick the brain of and also peel back and see the ordinariness of a lot of really successful shows and it really gets you thinking that you know it's maybe not this invisible bar that is too high or hard to reach welcome to the podcast sessions with your host Ritendo nyamuda each week we take you behind the mic as we interview podcast hosts podcast producers and those in the podcast industry on today's show we have the producer of the webby nominated afro queer podcast ida holly nambi hands down i'm not even gonna lie um the afro queer podcast is one of my favorite podcasts for a number of reasons and it's not just on an african level on an international level, um, the quality, the way you record, the production, the conversations, the documentary style of the podcast, it's all just so exciting. And I really want to get into the production processes of how you actually create that podcast. But I guess first question is, can you just give us a little bit more insight and information on what exactly the Afroqueer podcast is? Absolutely. Um, oh, I'm so glad you're a fan. Um, so the Afroqueer podcast is a podcast that um, tells stories of queer Africans on the continent and in the diaspora. We do those stories documentary style. Um, and we, um, yeah, we're, we're currently in production on our third season, um, which we hope to come out, um, in time for Pride Month in June. Um, but yeah, we have told stories from Nigeria to South Africa to Kenya to Uganda, um, to Equatorial Guinea and in the diasporas, of course, um, Sweden, the US and so forth. Um, and yeah, we hope to tell more stories. Um, you know, narrative driven stories from more places. That's, that's sort of what people can look forward to in season three and a diversity of stories as well. What I love about your podcast as well is, you know, people talk about being pan-African, but they will only tell stories from their country. How have you managed to, because you're based in Kenya, how have you managed yeah. to get a listenership outside Kenya and also tell stories outside Kenya? Um, well, the listenership is, um, I think we sort of struck out lucky. Um, we received, I think, press from different parts of the world that put us on people's radar, um, which I think helped in the early days to, to sort of market ourselves and, and be, um, received or listened to, um, around the world. And, and then when it comes to telling stories, we at first tapped into our own networks. Um, because prior to producing the Afroqueer podcast, our media house had been telling queer African stories in different formats. Um, you know, documentary film, um, in audio formats, but, you know, as sort of, uh, radio archives and not necessarily a podcast. Um, and we had been sort of, doing um doing trainings where we train lgbt activists 
to learn how to to use different digital media to tell their own stories. And because we'd been already doing that around the continent in East Africa and Southern Africa and in West Africa, we already, I think, had a network of people who we could sort of ask if they had stories to share. Um, and then I think once we got out there and people started listening to us, we were able to receive pitches. And some of our stories have been told that way. Listeners have just reached out to us. Um, yeah. And we're like, that actually is a good story. Um, and so then we've reported it out. Coming to the LGBTQI plus community as well, it's even even the stories, the way that the community has been portrayed or the community is in various African countries, um, being part of those communities is kind of denounced or frowned upon in certain countries. How do you, how do you keep telling those stories and, and how do you engage with people knowing that that's what's happening in those countries? That's a really good question. We, where we are in Kenya, you know, um, queer, uh, identities and sexualities are criminalized to a certain degree. Um, it's not illegal to be gay, but, you know, gay sex is illegal. Um, and because there's various understandings of the law in the region, even with like the police and whatnot, people who are like gender non-conforming, people who are trans will get targeted and harassed. And um, I think because those are the stakes in which, where we're even based and with, I think, 32 other countries on the African continent, it just makes our work feel even more urgent and even mm-hmm. more um, necessary to be told because we get a certain kind of representation in Western media, which is very much like, oh, poor, poor queer Africans um, were really victimized. Um, and then we also get a certain kind of uh, representation in look a lot of local media, which is very sort of derogatory or very, uh, you know, I mean offensive and and villainizes uh queer people so i think that it's sort of helped inspire and keep the um keep the urgent need um Mm -hmm. to tell these stories even more present be more even more pressing yeah and so what i love about your conversations is it's as as human beings first of all we want to know that we're connecting with people we want to know that there are people who are like us going through the same thing and you know for me it always comes back to you know that marion williamson quote that says as we let our own light shine we unconsciously allow other people permission to do the same which is that if you are brave enough with your life and if you're brave enough to tell these stories or to be the person who's saying profile me interview me you will touch someone else who maybe is hasn't come out yet or is living in isolation or you know, even right now where we are on COVID lockdown, you could be in a household where it's not okay for you to be open. And having listened to your conversations, it's kind, it, it opens that door up to say, it's okay. It's okay. Be proud. Go out there. We're, we're being brave with our stories. Have you found that it has, I mean, like you just said, it has had a positive impact. Um, what are some of the comments that you're receiving from people who are engaging with your podcast? I mean, I think, yeah, one of the the most rewarding aspects of doing this work and creating this podcast is that podcasts are these sort of 
strange mediums where it's a private individual thing, but you can sort of exist as a listener inside a community with other people. So um, we've had a lot of people reach out to us to say that, um, you know, either, oh, they didn't realize <laughs> that there was a movement or they didn't realize that there was, um, you know, rep- these identities or... Um, or these stories in places close to them or in places where they are. Um, and especially actually since COVID-19 has brought about, about a lot of, you know, lockdowns, or a lot of people in isolation. People, we have heard from a lot of our listeners that, um, they, you know, they realize that if they're struggling with unaccepting parents or something like that, that it's, it's time, it's time bound. And, um, and that they're they're not alone in that in those struggles. And and also just on the feedback that you have received, I think it was either you or Sally who was on an interview after you had first started, and you were being praised for you know this courageous, am- amazing Afro queer podcast is telling stories you know from Africa. And then there was the BBC interview, which then converted into feedback coming from people on the continent in various countries saying. Queer is not an African thing. Being homosexual is not an African thing. How do you take that or how do you take the criticism and then turn it into something where you're like, cool, we're just going to use it as fuel? That's a great question. We were not at all surprised one bit um, that the, you know, to some degree, a podcast is something that it's really hard to hate listen to. You know, you <laughs> if you sit down for 30 minutes to hear a story, it's because you really want to hear the story. And in that way, a lot of people who actually listen to our podcast have been people who are open to the things that they might hear. Um, and so that's or people who've been told to listen or something. And it's it's sort of a more constructive environment. But yeah, Sally did do an interview with the BBC Um uh, a year, I think, or so back. And when they posted the interview on, uh, on their Facebook page, actually, underneath, because the BBC is listened to across the continent by everybody. Um, <laughs> the, the comments were, you know, creatively vile. Um, people were saying all kinds of things. The not surprising things are things like this is un African, you know, really sort of, sexist, um, misogynistic, horrible things about, you know, how much this woman needs a man or things like that. Just typical trolling, um, homophobic mm-hmm. things. Um, and, you know, that actually inspired us, inspired us to do an episode, um, called criminalization and colonization. And then it, it, it happened to be dovetailing with, uh, the Kenyan courts who were reviewing um, a petition that had been brought forward to decriminalize uh, um, queer uh, gay sex, which has been Mm -hmm. um, in the penal code as something that is criminal. Um, And so we decided to do like this 500 year deep dive into the un-Africanness or the Africanness of, of actually this law um, and, and in the sense of homophobia, state homophobia, which the people who criticize, you know, saying this is an African don't, I think, realize how wholesale uh, British the imposition of these particular laws in former English colonies uh, are. And they don't sort of know what the history is before that. So I think, I think it, um, 
that sort of critique and criticism really just inspires us to put on our um you know our philosopher hats and and go to the archives and deep dive and tell some interesting stories um mm-hmm. that look at history in that sort of way i love that and and a massive part of what you guys do we're talking about history you have a lot of research that you do it's not you know when it comes to the production of podcasts people think that oh cool they pressed record they had a conversation that was that was easy i can do a podcast but there is a lot that it takes to produce a podcast and so coming to the production of one's podcast specifically at your position so you are the producer of the show you're not the host of the show can you provide some insight into what exactly a producer of a show does so i never produce the show alone we work as a team essentially when we someone pitches an idea someone within the team we'll have an editorial meeting someone will say oh i think that there's this this story in this this sort of place um we as a team will interrogate and be like okay is that an actual story or is that a theme or is that a sort of a one minute story or is that a 25 minute story um and is that an afroqueer story um which is a hard thing to describe what an afroqueer story is but we all sort of know it in our bones um and then you know if we do green light moving to the next stage we will then send the person who's pitched this off to create producers packs. Um, so that will be just, you know, internet, phone, archival research, collecting everything that exists on this story and all the potential different angles. And they will come back to the next editorial meeting and present that. And then when we hear that, we'll be like, okay, this is interesting. Um, I like this aspect. Oh, I think this aspect is, we need to know more here, or you would definitely need to talk to this type of an expert or this type of an expert because I need to understand more about this. They'll go off and they'll do more research. And then some of that research will involve um, interviews with experts um, who maybe have written books on the topic. So for example, the criminalization and colonization, you know, we sort of had an instinct we had heard, we sort of knew, but there's people who've published books um, who've spent, you know, decades researching about the history of, you know, Britain and its empire and these laws around homosexuality. So we had phone calls with numerous people to hear the different sides um, or, or the different ideas around this. And we will record those phone calls. Um, and some of those, uh, if we are in the same place, they'll be in-studio recordings. Mm-hmm. And some of those will make it into the episode. And some of those just inform our knowledge so that when we mm-hmm. finally sit down to write a script, um, to, and we figured out, you know, the story we want to tell, we, mm-hmm. um, we can have that informed, you know, rigorous reporting that has gone mm-hmm. into it, um, to, to make our case and also, you know, to fact check everything that we say with, with several, you know, at least two sources, um, when we when we make a statement um so that's sort of and then you know after that we'll have um <laughs> we'll we'll sort of do script edits so the person who writes the script or if it's a couple of people who write the script will then do you know readings with the rest of the team um and we'll give feedback there and then go off do several revisions of the script then uh the sound editor will create like a rough cut, then we'll hear it because sometimes what you think works as a story, you know, in written format isn't necessarily as compelling, you know, when you're hearing it 
Or someone said something that looked, that read really interestingly, but the way that they said it doesn't convey, you know, the energy that you need in that particular moment. So we'll then do several sort of listen edits and, um, eventually at some point down the line, um, (laughs) we'll all agree that we must let it go now. We never agree that it's perfect, but we're like, okay, it's time to put it out into the world now. And then, um, and then we put it out. It sounds like such an amazing process with so many layers. And, and it speaks to, I, I, I think that's why, actually not, I think I strongly believe. And I know that's why the quality of your podcast is the way it is because of the production that happens behind it, because of these packs that you have, the listening sessions and, and even being able to compile, like, you know, it's a, it's a team. It seems, and it sounds like the way podcasting is moving is not to compare them, but if you think of the way one produces a TV show or a produces a film or produces a magazine, it comprises of teams, it comprises of meetings, it comprises of research and documenting and processes and, and editing down and all of these factors. Um, and again, coming to the production of a podcast, a lot of people don't know this is what goes into it. And you're talking about something very interesting when you, and and I think it is across podcasts, but specifically your documentary style podcasts or narrative based podcasts, such as your own, the scripting of it. How important is that scripting process? Really, really, really important. Um, I'd say that even, um, even a lot of podcasts where it sounds like someone's just coming up with the stuff in their head, (laughs) they've frequently gone through script editors. Um, because I think more so in sound, every second of the listener's attention is so important. Um, and so curating it to, to maximum effects, I think really allows for the powerful 25 minutes or whatever, however long or 55 minutes, however long the episode is. Um, because of the way that, I, I mean, and that's also the genre of podcasts that we're doing. You know, um, chat casts, which are, uh, more conversational or, you know, different, you know, interviewers narrative, different types of styles of podcasts lend themselves to, you know, diff- how much ad libbing or different types yeah. of spontaneity. But I think with a documentary style podcast, it's so important to, to script it in order to do justice to, let's just say the eight different experts that you've spoken to to make sure that you're actually saying what's factually accurate and um as as clear as possible as well because you know you can sometimes you can run on you can speak in a jargon that the listener doesn't necessarily understand um it's really really important to to script um mm-hmm. for for that for this particular style of podcast we find mm-hmm. and one question i often always get from people I mean, next to what equipment should I use, etc. is how do you keep an audience engaged? How do you know that when you finally, after all your processes, click upload, <laughs> how do you know that you're, you're going to keep your audience engaged throughout the entire 25 minute plus minus podcast? Well, we start off as our first audience um, within the team. So if someone who hasn't worked with the story loses interest at a certain point in time, they'll note it. And that's what we do. That's why it's so important to have the listen edit is that I can say, while looking at the script, 
I got bored here. I got confused here. I zoned out here. You've already said this, uh, you know, and then it, the scripts never get longer. They always get shorter. Um, <laughs> and then, um, you know, when we have good time, which is this precious commodity that we never have, we also, um, you know, will share a, a, a cut of the episode with, you know, a, in-house people or family and friends who can give us honest feedback um, before we actually release it. Um, and I yeah. think that it's using your own impulses to know when you yourself, you know, start to lose interest and then also testing it out on a live, on a live audience, on, on, on listeners um, will really help. Listeners who can be honest and constructive. Mm-hmm. And how long does your entire process take from, the conceptualization of an idea to final final edit. It really depends on the story, but I don't know that we've ever done a story in less than two months. Um, but we will, you know, people will be working on multiple stories at the same time, um, yeah. or the team, different people will have take a lead on different stories, but um, it tends to take a while. It tends to take a while. And especially yeah. back in the day when there was travel involved um, mm-hmm. to get that sort of true documentary sound or experience, um, yeah. then it would really take forever in a day. Wow. <laughs> That's a long time. Two months for a 25-minute episode. How many hours of audio content, including your scripted parts and the interviews, would you usually be working through? Um, there's no episode I can think of that we've done in less than eight hours six or eight hours or something like that for example um like there's a there's an episode we did that uh, started season two called sex and sport which was about um the uh gender regulations that the international olympic committee and the international athletics federation were um creating to say, you know, this much testosterone is how much testosterone equals a woman. And it was basically yeah. screwing over a whole bunch of African women who were sort of entering what they had defined as the parameters for being intersex or for being male, actually, who had always known themselves to be women. So in that one, for example, there had been court cases. It had spanned, you know, 15 years. Some in it, you'll hear maybe like two sentences from an expert, but those two sentences would be taken from an hour and a half long interview. So (laughs) where it's, you know, you we will talk to the person to get their whole take and then or their whole perspective or everything they know on the subject. But when it comes to telling the story, what the listener has to know isn't necessarily everything that we have learned. It's usually a lot, a lot of hours um, that, that are on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Oh, but the, again, refining the content. I love it. I love it. I'm recording way too little audio, I feel. I need to get to the eight-hour mark. I'm just going to record audio for audio. It's going to be a lot of white noise. <laughs> um, and then you have spoken about, you know, aspects of traveling. Um, you're an entire team. My first question is, are you all, how many members of your team are there? We're now five people who work okay. on the podcast, yeah. One okay. sound the- editor, three uh, you know, Sally's the host and a producer. I'm a producer and a reporter. Maeve um, is a producer. Amelie is a new associate producer. Um, she's 
half um, French, half Congolese. And so uh, it takes the brunt of our Francophone reporting now. Um, and, and Tevin is the audio engineer. Oh, sorry, six. And Rachel uh, Wamoto is our social media manager. Um, wow. Which is a very, very important role, especially uh, now because we're finding that Afroqueer has really become a, a digital community um, and not just a podcast. And so she mm. curates and, you know, manages a lot of digital events, especially now. That's amazing. And so the six of you, are you all six full time working on the podcast or working within the space? Maeve works part time, but we all work on the podcast and other things. Um, so the, because the podcast is, is one project inside of a larger company, you know, we're also working, some of us are working on other po- podcasts as well, uh, producing other podcasts that are going to be coming into our, um, AQ Studios network because we're sort of trying to grow the podcasting ecosystem, um, on the continent and are, are taking under our, production wing a couple of new podcasts that will be coming out later this year yeah and then and then some and some people on staff work on other projects to do with you know lgbt um training of digital activists and different things like that yeah and so how is how are you being funded and i mean because you spoke about aspects of obviously a team of six uh and traveling you have a studio there is a company how how is the funding working so we because we were born under the umbrella of the organization None on Record, um, which is a LGBT digital media not-for-profit. Um, I don't think it's technically technically a non-profit, but it's a uh, within the framework of of non-profits in Kenya because we have this thing where there lots of drama, lots of lawsuits. <laughs> but being a non-profit is a is a difficult thing here but we are not for profit um and we um do this work under that rubric and so we apply for i mean the majority of our funding is grant funded um mm-hmm. from different organizations um the first season of afroqueer was i think an arts related grant from the british council and then you know we got different people like ford foundation we got the google um prx um, they did a sort of big call and a, and a six month sort of workshop with six different podcasts. And that came with, um, with, um, $40,000 to work on, on your show for that, <laughs> for that season. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, we were constantly applying and looking for different innovative ways, but it's, it's at the moment largely grants. We would mm-hmm. love to, as part of the growth of the ecosystem, move into sort of diversified sources of income mm. to produce the podcast. For example, advertising, and we have been approached by different advertisers um, to, but you know, to figure out the math or the economics of it all to make it work. We're still, you know, um, we're still sort of working on that. But yeah, we're also mm. looking into potentially investment funding. So. We're trying to think through the sustainability um, yeah. of that because the grants universe is, you know, it's a precarious universe. And mm-hmm. it's, um, I think a lot of things that podcasters struggle with is how to make it past that first season, how to make it past you and your own, how to have a team, mm-hmm. how to, 
you know, <laughs> how to have things like um, maternity leave when, yeah. <laughs> when, when yeah. you have a staff. What is the overarching or overall podcast scene in Kenya at the moment? So the podcast scene in Kenya is it's nascent and blossoming. So there are quite a few, um, you know, over 150 different podcasts um, are produced largely in Nairobi, but also in different parts of the country. Um, the majority of them are chatcasts. Um, and um, so there's not that many, you know, documentary style or different themed podcasts. They... There's a lot of, I think, interest in the usual topics, sex, sports, religion, um, <laughs> things people never get tired of talking about. Um, and I think that there's now more, uh, I'm, I know a few people who are really thinking about podcasting as their full-time profession. And that's an exciting move. Mm. Uh, that's exciting momentum that, that they would be able to sustain themselves um, yes. as just podcasters. But what that also means is that, you know, the the podcasts are coming out within um, a universe of other um, community-related um, activities. So, for example, the Spread podcast produced by Kaz, it, she also does, you know, live events. She also does ticketed things that can sort of support the podcast and support, you know, the economy around her podcast. Mm -hmm. So the the scene is definitely blossoming. And we've been mm -hmm. doing and we started doing some podcast training um trainings here. We started a couple, I think two years ago and last year and we were on our way to doing a mega one in March, but then, you know, COVID. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> and we've had a lot of uh, for those, you know, the applications we're seeing is sort of let us see what's out there. And there are, there's mm. just a growing momentum. There's a lot of podcasts that are coming up. It's exciting, yeah. I think. You mentioned Google PRX. Um, I did say like internationally, yes, you are one of my favorite podcasts, but you've also been recognized on so many levels. You were involved in the Google PRX where they chose a select few podcasters from the entire world to participate. You've been nominated for Webby Awards. It's like we're all trying to reach where the Afro-queer podcast is. <laughs> so how has that been? How has the experience of just not only being recognized on the continent, but internationally for you? How's that been? It's it's such an honor to at any time, no matter the scale, to to hear an appreciation of the work that we're doing. Um, it it's it's extremely flattering. Um, these opportunities, especially international ones, to be in the same room as people who you know were early supporters of This American Life and some of these different shows that um, you know we now know so well and you know live as sort of these icons out there. It feels fantastic to be able to pick the brain of and also peel back and see the ordinariness of a lot of really successful shows. And it really gets you thinking that, you know, it's maybe not this invisible bar that is too high or hard to reach. It, it, I think it fuels all of our ambition <laughs> to, yeah. to be in the space and learn about, um, podcasts ecosystems around the world so when we did the prx google um training which which you know was over six months and involved a lot of back and forth of traveling to boston 
we were meeting with, you know, people who had podcast companies um, based in the Middle East, podcast companies based in Latin America, and really understanding how these different places, not just the U.S., were um, growing their industries um, was really inspiring. And I think also just exciting to see that there's not one model, there's not just one voice and one style of a podcast that's dictated by the US. There is, in fact, a way that people are very cleverly um, tapping into the voice, the aspirations and the stories of their specific to the parts of the world that they come from to create something that has such high demand um, for their region. So I think it really sort of has inspired us and we're grateful to have now a network um, that spans the globe and people whose brains yeah. we can pick when we're, when we need to. <laughs> oh, which is key because we're, we're learning a lot from what they're doing internationally anyway in terms of processes, structures. Um, I hope that we do and you're you guys are already in that space where you're create where you're building teams. You're not just a one man show. Tell me about the Webby nominations, because that's massive. Not everyone is like because if you look at the Webby, you know the Webby Awards. You know they recognize people doing incredible stuff on digital. Um, it's you know the right now I'd say it's like the international equivalent of like the Emmy Awards or the Golden Globes. It's on that scale, right? And you guys were nominated. That's not that's not like chilled. That's not like, oh yes, we were nominated for a Webby. I'm like, give me a red carpet. How was that? <laughs> um it feels great. It really does feel great. Um, it is a sort of to be in an international conversation is wonderful. And to sort of rep a region that gets overlooked all the time is also wonderful. And you know, there's a I think I hope that more and more African produced shows, uh, get, get up there because it's amazing when you have these big international things and they're like from all over the world. Then you're like, wait, but that's 95% the United States of America. So <laughs> you could think that culture is only produced in the United States of America when in reality, yeah. people are doing lit things everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. and so I hope that. You know, our nominations inspire more people um, mm. to to sort of see more of the world. Because um, yeah. I, I actually love the Webbies for pointing me in the direction of what people are studying. So I always go and see, what's best writing here? Okay, let me listen yeah. to these podcasts and see if I agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> to put on your radar all these shows that um, it's, there's so many podcasts in the universe. It's impossible to know mm. what to listen to outside of whatever's the top 10 trending. And top 10 trending can just mean like top 10 biggest advertising budget, you know, yeah. <laughs> top 10, you know, <laughs> biggest production company in the world. Um, people with deepest relationships to mega organizations. So it is, mm. um, it's, it's been wonderful to be recognized by the Webbies yeah. and, um, and, yeah, to more and more. What were the two that you were nominated for, by the way? We were nominated in the um, category of arts and culture for an episode um, called Dakan about uh, a film from Guinea, um, which was uh, a gay film made in the 90s. And the one listener's quest, this was actually a story that was pitched to us. One listener, um, called Moses Cerebri, um, who reached out to us to, to be like, 
please do an episode on this filmmaker. Where is he? What's happened to him? And we were like, yeah. okay, let's figure it out. And then we, we spent months looking for him and found him and went, went, <laughs> went to his house to be like, hello, we've been stalking the world to find you. You made one gay film and fell off the face of the earth. What happened? How did what you happened? do this? Um, just so, like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which was sort of great. Um, and then we were also nominated in the category of diversity and inclusion. Which is a really interesting, confusing category, actually. I don't fully, fully understand how you pit diversity <laughs> against <Yeah>. each other. <laughs> yeah. Who's more diverse? Who's less diverse? Obviously, the chicklets, diverse chicklets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, we're not knocking it. Um, we, um, we were just, yeah, grateful to be in such good company as well. I, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people who we love and respect and we saw their names there and we were like, what? There's, yeah. um, there's another award that we're shortlisted for at the moment called the One World Media Awards. Okay. And, um, that's, uh, it's a journalist award, which is, uh, very mm-hmm. flattering for us because we take ourselves very seriously as journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, um, it's, it's, Interesting because the long list had um, audio stories from like Al Jazeera and all these places, uh, all these media companies. And the short list, now there's three of us and um, it's a BBC show, <laughs> us and um, a show by the company Doc Society, who, you know, oh. are mega people in the documentary universe. So it's almost just the act of being nominated or shortlisted is such an honor and being in such good company is such an honor but this is this is where the game changes in podcasting is it's even when it comes to you know again making tv shows or massive documentaries or films you look to these big budgeted studios you can create an award winning you're sitting you're now being alongside the bbc's that's what people say that's you know that's what it is it's not a lie it's not a oh you know a question those are the facts so to say that just speaks to the quality of the work that you're creating. This game of podcasting is about quality. It's about conversation. It's a whole bunch of things, but it's like you can do it. There's, 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 no, there's no bar that you need to reach to enter the game. That's the, <laughs> that's the thing I love the most about podcasting, honestly, is that the barriers to entry are so much lower than every other medium that we've operated in. Um, you know, if you have... Uh, a blanket that you can throw over your head, you can create a studio. Um, if you, <laughs> if you have a phone with a recorder, you can, you can sort of, <laughs> you can, you can record yourself. Um, you can sort of tell these amazing stories in a way that I think there's only really been like one phone film. I think the film Tangerine, um, that has <laughs> ever sort of, you know, and everyone's like, if you have a phone, you can make a film. That's not true. <laughs> if you have, hundreds of thousands of dollars and an amazing team, you can make a film that a lot of people watch. Um, But yeah, in that sense, podcasting, I think, is amazing because I've listened to incredible, incredible stuff that did not have studios, that did not have teams, that just, you know, it's, it's, I think in some respect, a democratic medium. Um, How can people engage and listen to the Afroqueer podcast how can they connect with you? Let us know. 
Well, we are, as they say, everywhere podcasts are available. And what that means is Afroqueer One Word Podcast is on any podcast listening platform that you have. It's on SoundCloud. It's on Spotify. It's on Pocket Casts. Um, we also, you can find us and connect to us on our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at AfroQueerPod. Um, and yeah, I think that's, I think that's everything, but, uh, even a quick Google of Afro queer podcast will take yeah. you to our website, um, which is just yeah. com. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you're looking to start your own podcast, do connect with us online at thepodsessions.com.